0: Good morning. Thank you for being here. And those of you who got here early, you got a treat this morning. We have no idea who's doing it, but the, uh, we, play, we just play some music over the speakers before service. And somebody got in and kept getting Fleetwood Mac on there. So they took it serious. You can go your own way, all right? So anyway, you get here early and that's what happens. Thank you for joining us. Joining us. Thank you, uh, those of you online, for joining us. I want to take you to the year 1892 right now. Uh, There's a man, a socialist minister by the name of Francis Bellamy, who wrote some words that are going to sound familiar to you. Here's what he wrote in 1892. I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, Francis Bellamy, was uh, he lived here in America, but when he wrote that, uh, he, it's actually widely believed by historians that he meant for any nation to be able to use that pledge, the one that we now recognize that many of us grew up with, a little bit different version of that, obviously. But in 1923 now, uh, it became a United States of America thing, and it was revised to, to say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Into the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, let me ask you, what's missing under God? And we'll get to that in just a little bit. That came along in 1954 when Congress uh, passed that uh, that resolution. But before we get to 1954, we got to go to 1940. In 1940 the Supreme Court ruled that state governments had the authority to compel students to recite the pledge. And so in 1940, something began that you and I, uh, most of us, most of us in the room grew up with. Yeah. Okay. Those with a lot of life experience, you may remember before this, but we grew up and we would start usually each school day with reciting the pledge of allegiance to to the United States flag. Now, I don't know about you, but and if you're on our email list, you got to read about this a little bit yesterday. But when I was young and I learned of the Pledge of Allegiance, it was so exciting because it was the first time that uh, indivisible, five syllables. Okay, I, I thought it was like an 18-syllable word, and I had like learned to say it for the first time. So it was really, really, really exciting. And, you know, you, I remember our own kids. When they learned how to recite it, they were excited. They wanted to recite it and recite it and recite it. And recite it, and recite it, and recite it, just to show us that they could do it. And they were excited. Well, you know what happened over time. Reciting the pledge became like this morning routine. And you got out of bed late, and you got to school, and you were tired. And we, uh, we moved from, like, the exclamation mark when we said the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, the exclamation mark to our tone, to a, a period. You know, periods are just ordinary, and, and they're really, really common, and they can be kind of mundane, and that's kind of how we would recite it, and that's how we would say it. Well, you come to this last year and a half, and as I, this is just my own observation, but as I think about this pledge that we've known since 1892 as a country, and again, we'll get to that under God piece in just a little bit here, but you know what I hear it said with a lot? is a question mark. See, for some of you, you've looked at what's gone on this last year, year and a half, and maybe even before, maybe for you it's been decades before this, and and you've maybe said it like this inside, "I, I pledge allegiance to the flag, one nation, are we, indivisible, are we, with liberty and justice for all? See, a question mark comes to mind, and the reason a question mark comes to mind is because something goes on in our human brain, and this happens to every single one of us, is that slowly but surely at some point, I begin to define unity as uniformity, and uniformity and unity are two totally different things. But it happens, and it happens so subtly. I I tend to think even, it it happens at church, right? You come to church and you tend to gravitate toward those that see things the way you do. You know, I'm aware of people in this church that you think regular Oreos are the way to go. And I just, sorry, we're not talking because it's double stuff. The other ones are diet. So anyway, um, we're here to talk about much bigger issues than that. But it's a big one. Anyway, for me. But this is what we do. We think unity is defined with uniformity. In 1940, when the Supreme Court passed that resolution, that all students could be compelled to recite the pledge, there there was a Supreme Court justice by the name of Felix Frankfurter. Now, if we could stop for a minute, is that not the most incredible name for a Supreme Court justice right there? My apologies if you're here and that's your name. But anyway, Felix Frankfurter said, the basis of national unity is national or national unity is the basis of national security. And so he did what honestly the only, the only thing he could do in his power. It was to somehow be part of legislating that people would recite this pledge and say that is unity in his words. Now, I want you to just think about that for a minute. The government passed something that tried to mandate unity. Does that sound familiar in 2021? Now, that's not pointing out any political party at all. In fact, that's more pointing out what we tend to do. That is not pointing out anything today. We see it going on today. But it points out what we, in the human heart, have been trying to do over time for years and years and years and years. In fact, from the beginning. Let me take you right now to Genesis chapter 11. I'm talking the very beginning. Okay, if you don't know where Genesis 11 is, just... Close your Bible and go 11 chapters in. You are there, all right? It's, it's one of the easier ones to find. But in Genesis chapter 11, just follow this. We're going we're to read a little bit here, and then we're going to jump to the New Testament here in a little bit. But in Genesis chapter 11, here's what we read. Now the whole world had one language and one common speech. In other words, they've got the same language, the same speech. You should be able to... This should be the easiest condition under which to get things done and make progress, right? Now, it's kind of like, um, you know when... Have you guys ever... Side note. Have you ever bought furniture from Ikea? Okay, those instructions? Okay, opposite of this, okay? I, 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 you kind of go, uh, I'm, I'm not even sure which direction I should be holding these things anyway. So there's one language... And there's one common speech. It continues. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And so there were these resources that they had been looking for. And when they couldn't find them, they decided to use substitute resources. In this tower that they wanted to build, um, it comes up in the next in the next verse here. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So they got same language, same speech, same plan, same goal. I mean, this sounds pretty unified, doesn't it? We're all going the same direction. We're all speaking the same language, literally the same language. We can't be stopped. Well, God, God looks upon all of this. And there's a couple things. There's a couple issues here. Do you notice the language of the people? Let us make ourselves and we and ourselves. Do you, do you notice, like, like we said about the pledge earlier, do you notice something missing? Yeah, we're missing under God. And God recognized this. Uh, uh, verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And he noticed something. See, the human propensity and our human capacity to be able to look at ourselves and say, with my own ability, on my own steam, I can accomplish my own interests. And you know what it overlooks? It overlooks that that while people were trying to go up and get to the heavens, the one in heaven came down. Now, if if you look at the Old Testament and you have a hard time reconciling the Old Testament and the New Testament, there it is right there at the very beginning. While we try to go up, God says, you don't need to. I'm coming down. The redemptive story of God is that he came to us. And he comes to us. And when we look around and we're looking for resources with which to build, he says, you have me. Well, then the Lord said in verse 6, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And he's referring to their rebellion at this point, that they decided, ah, oh, we know what you think, God, but we're going to do things our own way. And we're going to go after our own glory right now instead of yours. He says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so, so they will not understand each other. Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped Building the city. Now, if you were to just look back through history, you can see this story replay itself over and over and over. There's a psychotherapist, their name escapes me right now, who says, Every generation builds their towers. Every single generation in human history has gone after their towers. And towers, you know, we look at them and, and they're iconic and, and they're memorable and they're just in, they're, they're amazing and majestic to look at. But really, here in Genesis, we see that it's really all for human glory. And so God, he said, no, 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 I created you for a greater glory than that. And the only way you're going to accomplish that glory is with me as part of the picture. But see... <clears throat> Uniformity is what you get when you attempt unity without God's authority. And this is exactly what we see going on in Genesis chapter 11. The other thing about uniformity is this. Uniformity is where we we stop building where we stop agreeing. Have you noticed that as you look around? I mean, think about even just, you could just think about church for a moment. Right, you're going along, and, and we're all in this together, and, and it's an incredible thing. And then, and then maybe you, you see something differently than somebody else. You, you have a different viewpoint. And what often happens in churches more than anywhere? What happens? We split. A lot of denominations. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not ripping down all denominations, but a lot of times, the denominationalism, that splitting, it happens because we found a point at which we cannot build any further, We cannot progress any further. Now, if you didn't even want to go to the church level, parents, remember building towers with your children? I, I mean, take Jenga, for example. You know, they give you a nice little mold so that you can get the tower back up quickly because what happens over and over and over, probably literally every four seconds when you play Jenga, somebody knocks the table over and the tower comes down. I was, so I went with a more secure solution. I went with Legos. And one day, I'm, Lincoln and I decide we're going to build a tower. And, you know, Legos, they stick together. And so Lincoln, Lincoln decides he's on the foundation of it. And he, he started with, like, one of those two-by-two two squares. And so I just, like, I meant really well. I just said, buddy, this isn't going um, to stand very tall. And he's like, why? And I was like, because that square is just not going to support a lot. You know, it's wobbly. It's thin. No joke. He just kicks it over. He's like, build it yourself. And I remember thinking, that was like a four-year-old thing to do, but that's an us thing to do, isn't it? See, because really what we have in mind, we say unity, but we have uniformity in mind. I want it to look like I want it to look. We will find something to disagree on, absolutely. You go far enough, we will, we will all find something to disagree on until we're all in our own space, our own island, whatever it is. I remember one year, one of my favorite memories on a youth trip, We're on the bus, we're heading into the mountains, and I hear, like, teenage boy yelling at each other at the front of the bus. And I ran up there, and I said, what is going on? And it's four guys that I knew were real close, they were good friends with each other, and so I see two of them, and it's, like, intense yelling. So I sat down with one of them, I said, what is the problem? He's like, we're just, we're just arguing. I said, okay, what are you arguing about? And he, he didn't answer. I said, "No, what are you arguing about? what's the deal what, Why are you screaming at each other these These guys have been friends for years and years and years. brought each other to church. He put his head down. He's like, "We were arguing about who is the hottest Disney princess <laughs> And I just went y- y- you, you know you have no shot, right like like just it's." It's not possible. You know there are cartoons. But we'll find something. As much as we laugh at that, we will find our areas to disagree. We will absolutely do it. You know why? We have uniformity in mind. We've somehow replaced the, the real God definition of unity with uniformity. And so often, God, just like we see in Genesis, is not part of it. He's just not. Let me take you to 1954. 1954, Congress passed this resolution that under God would be added to the Pledge of Allegiance that people recited at the beginning of the day, especially in schools. And so I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One, pay attention to the words right around under God. One nation, under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. The liberty and justice for all we will get to next week, okay? But I want to talk about those words that sit right on either side of under God. One nation and indivisible. You know what those are? Those are unity words. Those are unity words. And as long as we continue to operate with uniformity in mind, this is something that we will just continue to see over and over and over. The tension that comes with all of it. Because none of the pledge works. Honestly, 1954 is the first time that as I think back through history and I look at what it has to say, that's the first time in history that pledge actually had a shot. It working. That there was a real shot at it. Because it's under God. It has to be under God. And so, if it has to be under God, we have to stop and ask ourselves, God, what is your definition of Unity. Yes, we picture uniformity, whether we would admit it or not. But God, what is your definition of unity? Now, the church, the church, when it comes to the under God part of the pledge, you may have question marks about all the other pieces of the pledge. But under God is a part of the pledge we ought to, every single one of us, ought to be able to say with an exclamation point, shouldn't we? Under God. And yet, as I look around, and as I even think about myself this last year, it was hard to do that. There were times where it remained a period. There were times that I had a question mark there. Because as I looked around, I went, God, do you have this? Is this still under God? God, is our nation still under your authority? Are you even there? Did you check out? Are you seeing everything that's happening right now? And as I look around, as I've listened, and we talked about this a little bit last year, it's very easy for us, the church, to say it with a question mark. We get jaded, we get bitter, we get critical, we go on the attack. We forget about the fruits of the Spirit that God gave us that transcend any situation we could ever come across. Any conditions we could ever walk through? We've said it this way. We lose our amen and we lose our hallelujah, don't we? We've seen our share of that over the last year. Every single one of us is susceptible and vulnerable to that. But if the church can put an exclamation mark back in under God, then something incredible happens. Let me take you to Acts chapter two. Because I, I, I believe the conditions right now in America, the more I think about this and the more I pray on this, I believe the conditions are ripe. See, you, you had conditions back in Genesis where everybody was on the same page, same language, same manner of speech, same plan, same goal. And it didn't work. It didn't work. It was scattered. And so generation and generation and generation goes by. And the people are scattered. And they're more entrenched in the ways of wherever they're from than ever before. And we arrive at Acts chapter 2, and there are question marks at the beginning of Acts. Because Jesus, he's risen from the the, the dead, and there's a lot of celebration. And he's returned to the Father. But then it's just like, all he had said was wait. Just wait. You know what happens when we we wait? We start looking around, and it's like, what's going on? What's going to happen? What's the plan? What's next? And in Acts chapter 2, we see why he told them to wait. Come to Acts chapter 2 with me. Verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. This is the disciples, and not just the 12, but a much larger crowd of them. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Remember, they'd been scattered, and now they've come back. And they've come from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. I would imagine that the bewilderment came, excuse me, from thinking that God can operate outside our box of what we th- how he, we think he operates, right? That, wow, they can understand what God is saying and they can understand what God is saying because I hear it in my language, but I can't fathom how they can hear it in their language. See, this right here should open us up. This should open up a lot for us. Because isn't it easy to think that God operates the way I've understood him to operate my whole life? And so we we think about the way we grew up, and we think that's how God works for everybody. And Acts chapter 2 says, no, no, no. God transcends all that. He can can get beyond all that. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? In other words, the Galileans, I mean, they would have looked at them and gone, they're the ones we least expected to be able to understand God. Verse 9. Look at the list. Just look at the list of the different backgrounds and people in the room. And maybe even the different thoughts. Uh, If I mess up on the pronunciation, hopefully you won't even know it. All right, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. So what you have in this list are 15 to 16 different backgrounds sitting there, totally different, yet all understanding what God is up to. Do you... Can you see the contrast here? Genesis, everybody's on the same page. Same language, same place, same plan, same goal. Doesn't work. It was so uniform. Now in Acts chapter 2, 15 to 16 different places. And something is coming together. Now, if we were to just look around this room, you think you could spot 15 or 16 differences? And I'm not even just talking appearance. I'm talking like opinions. And beliefs and thoughts. You know, there are people in here that y- you love a, a bright room. Others in here, when you come to church, you prefer a dark room. I already mentioned a big one earlier. Regular Oreos, double stuff Oreos. You know, do we, do we wear suits to church? Do we wear sweatpants to church? Super jealous of you guys, by the way. You know, generational differences. Backgrounds of life Differences. And i got to tell you, as a Michigan fan, the one that baffles me most is there are Ohio State fans in here right now. And I actually like them. I Lord, what are you doing? Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Libertarians. See, these are the things we get caught up on. You know, pro-mask, no-mask. Vaccinated, not-vaccinated. There are so many dividing lines. So how does the church work? How does the church work? You know how it works? Acts chapter 2 tells us. The thing they didn't have in Genesis chapter 11. God's authority. And God's authority, you know how that comes about? I mean, you'd expect to hear this grand plan of what some amazing leader organized there in the house. Instead, it's something totally different. As we read on. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Sorry, they had, heard, they had heard these voices declaring the wonders of God in their own native languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And what it means has everything to do with what happens next. Peter gets up and he says, you know what? It is the wine. Somebody spiked it and that's what's going on. No, read your Bible and you'll know it doesn't say that, Okay. No, Peter gets up, and Peter preaches Peter's first sermon. And when Peter gets up, he says, listen, this was was told to us. This was foretold to us. Years and years and years and years and years ago, this was foretold to us, that in the last days, the Holy Spirit of God would be poured out among people and on people. And then he turned to them, to this crowd, and he says, this man Jesus This man, Jesus, who had the very authority of God, he came. And you know what happened? This is how you win friends and influence people right here. He said, you killed him. You killed him. He came and he had all the authority of God and you killed him. And God raised him from the dead. And now as he's at the right hand of God, he has poured out his Holy Spirit on people. And we read that that day, that day, The people, after they heard this, you'd expect them to get offended. Instead, verse 37 tells us, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so to a crowd that was not uniform, that came from 15, 16 different places, who probably thought differently, who probably looked differently. You know what Peter had to say? This is about God's authority. It is always about God's authority. You know what unity is? Unity is not, I agree with you. It's not. And I know we go there, but that's uniformity. Unity is not, I agree with you. Unity is I am under him. See, we, we like to think if we all just get on the same page, we're going to do something really, really, really incredible. But that leaves God out of it. And so what God says is your first step is actually not even the unity part. It's his authority. Repent and be baptized, you know what that is? Would you call him Lord? Would you, instead of trusting in your own efforts to help build something incredible, trust in what he did right there at the cross? And that the same power that raised him from the dead is now at work in you? See, that's a life that says, I am under his authority. You know what happens when a a group of people that has said, I am under his authority, when they come together and God's spirit brings them together? Unity. And you have a church. You have a church that comes together. I want to read to you in a second a quote uh, from Tim Keller. But it's one of those things we have to remember. That unity is one of those things that says, I'll get this unity right, and then this will overflow. But too often we start here, don't we? Yeah. And, And see, in Genesis... That pursuit of unity, you know what it did? The most it could do was build a tower. But see, God says, nah, I don't want to build a tower. I want to build a church. See, uniformity tries to pull on people and reach the level of God. Unity has God, reaches people. What would you prefer? Tim Keller, Tim Keller said it this way. I had a friend send me this this quote. Here's what he had to say. The church itself is not made up of natural friends, is made up of natural enemies. And Some of you are pointing right now and I need you to stop, okay? But what binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In the light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves. Did you catch that? They commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. See, there is something God can do that no government, no law, no cultural movement will ever accomplish. And it's the unity that we hear so much about today. I and mean, when I've heard unity, 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 and I've, I've thought just as I think on just these two passages, it's just never going to happen. It's never going to happen because God never intended the government or society to be what brings about Unity. Unity is a God thing. He had the market on it first and always. And he always, always, always will. And you know how God decided this was going to happen? Through the church. Through the church it was going to happen. In 1954, when under God was added to the Pledge of Allegiance, the daughter of Frances Bellamy, the one who originally wrote the pledge, she was furious. She was absolutely furious. There were protests going on. But what what really put it through was one morning, President Dwight Eisenhower, he was at a church. He was at a church. I believe it was February 9th, 1954, from what I read. He was sitting at a church, and as he sat there, and as he listened to to the sermon, as he engaged with people that day, the very next day on Monday morning, he urged Congress, put this through. It doesn't work without it. And God used the church. God used the church to advance, to remind the real definition of unity, his definition of unity. And so, as we wrap up this morning, I've got three, three unity questions for you. Three unity questions. that I just want you to write down or think about. Number one, <clears throat> do I want or do I envision a tower or a church? And this is a unified glory question. What glory am I, am I picturing in my mind? Do I want a tower or a church? Do I, do I want something that includes God or leaves Him out of it? Number two, this is an, a unity of attitude question. Is there anyone I cannot be in a room with? Do not answer that out loud right now, okay? <laughs> I can hear my sister yelling my name right now. Uh, no. Is there anybody I can't be in a room with? Because as I think about them, it's just not uniform with what I think. Finally, number three. Do I state under God with a period, a question mark, or an exclamation point? Now, I know we're all going to have seasons. And, and for many of us, we just walked through a year and a half long season or maybe it was before the last year and a half. Where there were question marks and there were periods. But I would hope and my prayer is that we can get to an exclamation mark on that. Because when the church gets that right, there are some incredible things that happen. Now, I I think the odds are very small that a president, like Dwight Eisenhower, is just going to show up here one day. I mean, I guess it could happen. But you know what's beautiful about the church? Is you don't have to wait for that to happen. And so I want to actually bring up a young, young lady here at the church. She came, Clarice Eldridge. Would you come on up here? Would you guys welcome Clarice? <laughs> and, oh, you got one. I've done this before, I promise. All right. <laughs> Clarice came to us in uh, junior high. In junior high, they would moved here from Arkansas, and Clarice came through the junior high group, and she came through the high school group, and uh, after, after high school, you went away on a mission called the World Race for a year, and then she just finished, she just graduated from CCU, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. With a, what degree? Um,
1: business and psychology. Business and yeah, psychology, all right. And
0: <laughs> now, here's the thing I want you to know about the church. While we could wait for, you know, a president to come walk through these doors to, to make some advance in unity and what God is doing through the church. Instead, God set it up differently. He said, no, 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 the church, you have God. Whether under God is in the Pledge of Allegiance or not, you have God. Now go reach people. Jesus commissioned, commissioned us all. He said, go and make disciples of Jesus Christ, proclaim the good news of the gospel. And so the reason I brought Clarice up here is because Clarice is about to leave, selfishly we're sad, but for two years to Lithuania, correct? So I'm going to let you tell them about that for for a moment here.
1: Yeah. So man, first of all, just in like Overwhelmed with gratitude, I think, just as I've been reflecting and I'm remembering, man, so many people in this room and just all of you as a whole just have so impacted my life. Um, So, yeah, so I took a job at LCC International University, um, and it is a Christian college in Lithuania that was started um, by a group of Americans and Canadians that wanted to um, bring Christianity to Lithuania right after the Soviet Union cleared Lithuania. Um, And so the the university, most of the staff, are or all of the staff are Christians, and majority of the students actually are not. So for many of the students, they're coming from over 50 countries, and for many of them, it's their first time ever holding a Bible. So I will get to be a resident director there, um, investing in freshman students and welcoming them in and um, doing different mental health um, things and disciplinary things and planning programs and investing in students and RAs. So, um, yeah, I am just so excited and um, would love you all's prayer and support as I go Um, I will be support raising the tuition is at a much lower rate for students um, so that students from all over can come Um, and so yeah so I'll be raising about $1,500 a month Um, so you are welcome to partner with me in that if you're interested um, I'll have a table in the back but also would just love your prayer and to partner with you in that way and um, yeah just praise the Lord for each of you and your role in my life and um, yeah thank you for your support all throughout so
0: we thank Clarice Now, I will say this, there is no way Clarice or any one of us would make it on something like this without the church behind them, and especially the unity of the church. This is why God said, I'm going to plant a church, I'm going to put my body every single place there are people. And so as Clarice goes, Clarice, we want you to know, you go with a church behind you, the church behind you. And so with that in mind is the worship team comes back up. Uh, Could I ask you to pray? We're going to close in prayer, but specifically to pray for Clarice as well. Heavenly Father, we ask right now and we thank you first and foremost that you, from the beginning of time, while we have planned without you in mind, as we see in Genesis chapter 11, the redemptive work that you carry out through the centuries is that you planned with us in mind. And so... You sent your own son to the cross that we may be redeemed. And as Clarice said earlier, that we may partner in what it is you're up to. And so as Clarice goes to Lithuania, we pray that, that of course, the assurance that your spirit is upon her and working in and through her. But as a church, Lord, when we clear away all the distractions, when we clear away our, our emphasis and, and our aim at uniformity, Lord, there's something so much better there's unity and so with that we we stand behind we walk next to Clarice as she goes we ask that you will watch over her in every single way we pray all this in Jesus name amen